0: this evening uh, for a session we're calling Sharing Our Faith uh, with Jamie Winship. Uh, my name is Ed Nall. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we've, Jamie and I have been friends for uh, many years. He's the kind of friend that um, you don't see or talk to for a while, and then you see him and you just pick right up wherever you were before, and uh, God takes you forward from there. Jamie and Donna, have been, Donna, his wife, spoke here last night for the ladies. Think about a 150 ladies came for that. Uh, Jamie has spoken a number of times here. He's been uh, instructing the staff on prayer for the last three sessions that we've had. Uh, and they're a great blessing uh, among us. Um, they both decided, Jamie and Donna both decided uh, independently that God was calling them to the mission field. Donna was, I think, a teacher, and Jamie was a Fairfax County policeman. And God called them both to the mission field, and they went to seminary, and then they went to Indonesia, and they've been to Jordan, and they've been to Baghdad, and uh, they just kind of go wherever God takes them, uh, which is a wonderful way to live your life. So we're looking forward to what God's going to say to us tonight, um, and I don't want to take a lot of your time, but we're going to start with the word of prayer, and then Jamie's going to come and speak. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time tonight to hear from you. Uh, to be encouraged and exhorted uh, to share our faith with those who do not yet have faith. Uh, Give us grace, Lord, to hear and to put into action the things that you would have for us. Bless Jamie as he speaks. I know he's been working hard. Uh, Give him grace for uh, another session with us. And Lord, just uh, work in our hearts so that we might hear and understand and do what you have asked us to. Thank you in Jesus' name. Hey, when this session is over tonight, Jamie and Donna have got to go. Usually they would stay and we would talk for an hour or whatever. But when this is over, he's got to, he's got to get out because he's got some family obligations. Uh, just so you know that, uh, he'll kind of disappear in the <laughs> evening. It's not the way it usually goes, but that's the way it's going to go tonight. <laughs> Thank All right, take it. Thank you.
1: <laughs> if you've got a Bible, I want to look at... Um, couple of things at the beginning of acts, but <clears throat> yeah I'm losing my voice apparently uh, how many how many of you were not here last week? oh boy <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just say what I said last week <laughs> okay well, well we're trying we're talking about sharing our faith you know and what that involves, trying to get a biblical perspective on what that means. Because what what we've turned it into is like this kind of abnormal event that sometimes happens in our lives with other people, with lost people. Instead of it just being, it's just the way you live. It's a way of life. Um, because the Great Commission, Jesus says, not go like I've called you in particular to go into all the world. You know, she uses a big missions Passage is actually not what it's saying. What it's Jesus is saying is, as you are going into the world every day, make disciples. So, just as you're going into the world, make disciples. So, that's that's sort of the premise of how we're talking. It's something that you do every day, and to share your faith every day is actually very simple. It's really simple. So, this morning, I when we got up. And we're on a pretty tight schedule. We got up and I I was praying and I said, Lord, you know, I just would love to share my faith today. We just love to do it. So if you got anybody out there in the course of what has to be accomplished today in our world, um, we'd love to, I'd I'd love to just share my faith with somebody. So, um, so I've got the things that I have to do today, obligations, things for um, what we're doing overseas, our son is moving into an apartment in Roslyn. He just came back from Iraq and Afghanistan after three and a half years. He just came back into the area. Uh, so he's setting up apartment from nothing. And he works all day, which means we, me and Donna basically, when we're not doing this, live in Target. Buying, I don't even know what we've been buying, but junk stuff. Not junk. Donna gets mad when I say junk. Things. Buying things. And... uh and so that's all got to be done, you know, so the, the first thing out the door is a meeting with a guy, um, a breakfast meeting with a guy that's interested in what we're doing in the Middle East and being a part of it. And then after him to go rent a U-Haul. So this is, in my mind, this, I'm playing through, this is what I got to do today. Go by u U-Haul, go to Target, go to Leesburg, come back to Target. That Target doesn't have what we want, so do we go to another Target where Donna decides this target was actually better in the first place. So we're, and we're doing this in a U-Haul truck. So, like, I'm on top of the world spiritually in this situation. <laughs> I love housewares. I love standing in housewares. And anyway, so I know, I know this is going to be my day. <laughs> this is what, and so I said, Lord, in that, all of that, as we're going into that world all day today, I would love to share my faith. Now, I ask God to, i actually, what I actually do is ask him permission to share my faith. That's what I'm asking him. I'd love to talk to somebody about you today. If you would let me do that, I would love to do it. Um, so that was, my, that was what I prayed this morning. Now, when I was a cop in Fairfax County, it was cool. I, I ate lunch yesterday with some state troopers, and, uh, and just were, they were telling, cops tell awesome stories, you know, so they were telling me some awesome stories, these retired guys, and, uh, so we they were trying to out-tell stories to each other, and, uh, and so it was really, it was just fun being with them, but when I, when I was a cop, and we, this is what we were talking, I was talking about with these guys, was I was asking them how, how and if they shared their faith on duty when they were working. Um, and one of the guys told this. He told this fantastic story, which I won't tell all of it because he tell, he can tell it better. But he basically drove up on an accident where a, a tractor trailer had flipped on top of a van, and both of them had gone off. This is in Virginia, off the road highway down into a gully, and n- no one knew it. And so he was driving with a bunch of other cops. They were coming from court. There's one route they take to go back to their to their barracks their station and for some reason in his heart he felt like because we were also talking about hearing from God I said what tell me instances on the police department when you've heard God actually speak to you and did they and that kind of thing because you know when you get pulled over by a cop it'd be really good if you could get God to tell that policeman to let you go wouldn't that be awesome <laughs> Lord could you speak to that policeman uh, I have had people pray directly at me when I was a cop. This is, it's the wildest thing. But uh, I'll tell you that story, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so he, so for some reason, he feels like he needs to go this other way back to their barracks. So he leaves the other troopers, and he's driving down this road, and that's the road where the accident had occurred. And he sees the marks in the road, he's, and he gets out of his car. He looks down the hill, and there's the van and the truck. And uh, he... Uh, so he's like, God, what do I do? He runs down the hill, checks the van. The one passenger in the van has already, has already died. Uh, the other one is alive. And, so, and the truck driver is alive, but he's trapped in the truck. And he's screaming, and this guy's not saying anything. And so the trooper, if you can imagine this, puts his hands on the person that's still alive, just barely, and starts, and, and, and starts praying for him. And saying, God, don't let him die. Come on, save his life, save his life. Isn't that nice to know that policemen do stuff like that? I tell you, it's... And um, he prays for the guy, and he's whispering to the guy, like, you know, you know this, I know you don't know what does He doesn't, didn't remember what had happened to the guy in the van. And he said, but this is a situation where you really need to understand your relationship with God right now. Like that. And then the trooper's a little... But, so he, he prays with the guy, and the guy prays with him, and he dies. Now the trooper's upset at the truck driver because he's the one that caused this accident. Truck driver's still alive. And the trooper's like, man, why do these... It was the elderly couple. Why do these two people have to die? And this guy's still alive. <laughs> you know, so he was kind of agitated. So he climbs. He has to climb down into the cab of the truck to get to the driver. And the driver is pinned in the truck and the, end, the diesel engine is on his legs. So not only is he stuck, it's burning him. And... Uh, and the trooper it leans into the guy and says to the guy, you're going to die in a matter of minutes. Is your life right with Christ? Because there's nothing the trooper can do. And the guy's like, get me out of here. And the, guy, and the trooper says, I need a crane to get you out of here. And we're so far out in the boonies, there's nothing I can do. But, but you need to make sure your life is right with Christ right now. And the guys keep screaming, and the, and the, and the trooper's like, he runs up the hill to get on his radio and call the ambulance. And standing up at the on the top of the hill by the highway is this big guy with a hard hat on. And guess what he's driving? A crane. A crane. He goes, Can you can I can I'd love to help. Can I help here? I'm driving a truck with a crane on it. And the trooper's like, Where did you come from? You know. And I asked the trooper, I said, do you believe in angels that drive trucks with cranes on them? I'm just asking. He goes, I don't know. I get maybe. So anyway, they lift the engine off the guy. They get the, the ambulance comes. They get him out of there. They take him to the hospital. And the trooper works the accident. He goes to the hospital to check on the guy. And the doctor said, the guy won't let us touch him until he talks to you. We've we got to get him into surgery, but he won't let us touch him until he talks to you. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so the trooper goes into the guy on the, on the bed and says, says what? What do you want? And the guy said, well, I asked the doctor if I was going to survive this operation or what they're going to do. And he said, I may not, and I want my life right with Christ. And he said, I figured you're the one that knows how to do that. Because when I'm trapped in the truck, that's all you keep talking about to me. So he told me that story. And, I, and then we were, so then we were kind of telling stories back and forth about how we... Uh, you know, how we shared our faith and things we saw God do with people we prayed with and all. And, it, and so that, and that was really cool. And so what those guys are doing, what we were doing is we're just, as we do our job, we share our faith. That's what we do. Not many cops do that, believe me, because you get fired for it, actually. But, um, but we do do it. And, and so it's the same for everyone. Whatever you do as you're going through the day, make disciples. Share your faith. We said last week that the definition of sharing your faith is to take the faith that you have and share it with someone who doesn't have it. Okay, I'm not talking about intellectual knowledge. I'm talking about a person that's in a tough situation. They're not a believer. And you're saying, no, look, you can overcome this. This can be done. It's just that you don't have the faith to do it. Let's use mine. I'm going to preach a whole sermon on that Sunday here. Um, It's an incredible chapter um, in the Bible about... A, a character actually actually sharing his faith with people around him who think they're going to die. It's an incredible passage. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about doing a sweet little presentation to people. I'm talking about, as quickly as you can, figuring out what's going on in their life and sharing your faith with them to give them hope in that situation. Everybody wants to hear that. I don't care who you are. You want to hear that. So that's what we did in the police department. Then when I went to to seminary, I heard Donna telling this story to somebody. I went to seminary, and I lost that, the way we did that. Because all of a sudden, my desire to share with people and to reach out to people went from here, this organic sort of, this just the way we live, up into bing. oh, it's a clever presentation. Like that, and it really hurt me. But I thought, well... You know, these guys, they know what they're talking about. So it went away from just, man, what's the need in your life? How can I help? To actual kinds of presentations. Here's what you say to this guy. Here's what you say to this guy. Here's what you say to a Muslim. Like that kind of thing. <clears throat> and in the class, you had to you had, you had to evangelize. See, I'm using it. I personally prefer to call it sharing my faith and evangelizing because that sounds like an event. Let's gear up for an evangelism event. So just, that's just what we talk about. So, but in this class, in order to get an A, you had to, like, share your faith 25 times in the semester. It was super spirit-led, isn't that? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you got pluses or minuses based on how they responded. And did you get through that? It was ridiculous. Re- absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, so, like, I'm halfway. Or actually, we're getting towards the end of the semester, and I'm looking at my chart. And I'm, you know, about D level of the number of people I've reached out to. And so to get a C, I, needed to, I need a, a quick evangelism event. So I was like, man, I've got to make this happen. Doesn't that sound, I've got to make this evangelism happen. There's a big mistake right there. So I was doing a, I was actually leading, leading a Bible study that I started at the, the city YMCA. So I was down there a lot. So I drove down to the YMCA. There's a lot of guys hanging around there. So I'll find somebody to talk to. So I'm wandering around through the YMCA. Nobody will talk to me. I mean, all I need is for them to listen to me for about 10 minutes, and I can check it off and get a, a C, you know? Which is how Jesus sent his guys out, <laughs> just like that. You come, when he sent out the 12, it's like, I've given you authority over demons and all kinds of illness, and if you don't do it three times and come back to me, you get an A. You know, awesome. So nobody will talk to me. I'm really frustrated. And so I, I go out to the parking lot, and I get, get in my car, and I'm driving out of the parking lot. And there in the booth, the, you know, where you pay, is the guy. And I realize if I pull up close enough, he can't get out of the booth. So I like, got him. I got him. So I do that. So I pull up and I trap him in the booth. And he's like, uh, what are you doing? And I said, listen, hey, listen. And I, I, I just, bam, went through the whole thing. He, I didn't let him say one word because I had to get through it. And uh, so I got all the way through it. Handed him a track. The track was like another like point up. If you handed him a track, hand him a, I would have handed him a ten, but I thought that would be overdoing it. But and so I hand him a track, and I go, "What do you think?" So, he goes <laughs> to the track and he throws it at my face. He goes, "I hate people like you." And I was like, "Boy, does this detract from my grade?" This response and. He, I, I said, why? And he said, because you don't care one thing about me. Not one thing. He said, you don't even know if I believe in God or not. You didn't even ask me. You just had to say your little speech, didn't you? Something like that. And uh, I was like, oh, boy. And he goes, "You you, you make me sick. Get out of the parking lot. Move on. And I was like, man, I'm sorry. You're right. You're exactly right. And I think here I am apologizing for doing evangelism and handing a guy a track. I'm apologizing because my evangelism has driven him away from the kingdom of God. Which we do in the Muslim world all the time. <laughs> We've been doing it for 1,400 years. Driving Muslims away from the kingdom of God by the way we talk about them and to them. Another topic that we'll cover this weekend. <laughs> but um, And so I pull out and I, was, I, pull, I just pulled over to the curb and I was like, Wow, Lord, okay, I am sorry. That is wrong. That is really wrong doing that kind of stuff. Who do I think I am? Seriously? I don't care anything about this guy back here. What does Paul say? If you can speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men, if you have all knowledge, if you sacrifice your body to the flames, if you do it without love, what, how well does it work? It's, it's worthless. We think just because we say these words, wow. It's, like, it's kind of like we're like animists. If I say these magic words out to this person, it'll get them. Like that, that's like, it doesn't have to involve my heart. I just have to say the right thing, like a spell, like that. And so, and and Paul says, you know, you can speak, you can be the best speaker in the world. You can speak like angels speak. But if you do without love, this is what the person hears. In their ears, that's all they hear. Clanging cymbal. We think, oh, we're so clever with our apologetics and polemics. We're not, because we don't love the people we're saying it to. Do we love the Muslim world? I don't think so. But So I was sitting there, and I, I, I said to the Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to do that again in my life. I'm not, I will commit that when I share my faith, I will, do, I will figure out the way to do it that's right. But that's not it. I'm doing it to get a C. Gosh! And so I drive down the road. I'm, I'm actually very discouraged, and I drive down the road because I knew how we did it in the police department. It was amazing times. And I'm sitting at a traffic light, and this guy... This, this black guy, he comes walking across the intersection and he just knocks on the window of my, the passenger side of my car, opens the door and jumps in the front seat and closes the door. And he goes, can you give me a ride? Like, well, I guess, you know, you're in. It's either I'll give you a ride or it's a carjacking. We, we, we can call it what we want. And so, so he tells me where he wants to go. I, you know, so I'm driving him. He, he, he said, he goes, wow, you look depressed. Who? I'm like, who are you? Who are you? He said, you look depressed. And I, I said, well, I, I kind of am. He said, why? Can you, isn't it funny how you have these conversations as a total stranger? And he said, why? And I said, do you really want to know why? And he said, yeah, I'm, I do. And I said, well, you know, I go to seminary over there. And he goes, oh, yeah, I heard of you guys. <laughs> Not very positively he said that. And, uh, and he said, and I told him, I'm trying to get a, a C in evangelism class. And I pinned a guy in the car booth, the, the booth back there and tried to talk to him. And he threw the track in my face. And I'm sad about that. He goes, he threw it in your face? And I said, yeah. I said, what would you have done in the situation if I'd have done that to you? He said, I would have thrown it in your face too. He said, what were you trying to tell the guy? I mean, what were you trying to explain to the guy? And I said, well, I was trying to explain that, you know, you don't, that we can live in the kingdom of God and Christ is the way in and this is what it's like. And so I explained to this guy <laughs> as we're driving what I wanted to say to that guy, what I did say, but didn't mean. And then the guy says to me in the car, he says, wow, that's really beautiful. Wait, that is beautiful. He said, is that something I could have? And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, how? He said, I've never lived like that. And I said, well, really, you just really need to ask God and invite Christ into your life. And uh, he said, can you, sh- can you show me how to do that? And I said, yes, yeah. so we pull in the parking lot, of some store, and we pray together, and he accepts Christ as his Savior. And he, and he leans over, and he, cl- he clasps me on the shoulder, and he goes, K- he goes, I think God really wanted me to jump in your car. <laughs> mm. He goes, thanks a lot. This is, he said, this is life-changing for me. And he got out. And walked away. And the Lord said to me, That's how I do it. Just like that. Not like that. Like this. This guy. Like that. And so I made this I said, Lord, I'm going back to that way. That's the way Jesus does it. That's the way Paul and them do it. And I'm going back to that. And so for the for our time, you know, overseas and all, we've really learned how to share our faith with people. So now I'm 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 going through today, and uh, we go pick up this furniture. We go to the U-Haul place. So the U-Haul U-Haul place over in Herndon. Get out, go in there, um, start talking to the guy behind the counter. He's obviously not a, not from America. And I said, "Where are you from?" He said, "Nepal." And I said, "Oh, Nepal! Wow!" And he said, "Yeah. Have you heard of it? Isn't that interesting?" It's like I guess people that Rent U-Hauls, don't know where Nepal is or something. I don't know. But he goes, have you heard of it? And I said, of course I've heard of it. Nepalese people are great people. And, and um, so we start talking. And, he's, and this is what he says to me. I don't, that's all we're just talking about in Nepal. And uh, he says to me, do you realize? He says, he says, my religion is shrinking and dying away. That was what he said. I was like, now should I share with this guy? Lord. He like, that's what he said. And I said, what, what in the world does that mean? I said, you're Hindu, aren't you? And he said, yeah, but he said, "He said it's dying. In, it's dying away. And his, he was afraid of it, scared of that, losing that. And he was telling me, he explained to me what Hinduism believes. And I said, yeah. I said, no, man, we, li- we lived in, uh, in Indonesia. And we lived on an island that was all Hindu. That's all it was. And, and all my neighbors And for a year learning to speak Indonesian. And I said, I know, I know what you guys deal with. I know what you're afraid of. And I said, but I don't understand what you mean it's dying. And he said, well, he said, like, when you're there in Nepal and everyone's Hindu and, you know, it's all controlled, he said it seems powerful. But when we come into the United States, he's been in the United States for quite some time. He said, it it doesn't seem to work. Because now it has to work in every situation that's not controlled. And it doesn't seem strong enough. And I'm losing my faith in it. <laughs> it's like. Wow, really? (laughs) You know, I said, can I I share some of my faith with you? I I have some. I'll share it with you. And he said, yeah. Boom, there you go. We're on our way. Can't wait to see him tomorrow. His name's Ramad. Kind of happy we rented a U-Haul now. I was dreading it, but I'm kind of happy. You see how that changes the whole day right there? Not just renting a U-Haul. You're renting a U-Haul proclaiming the kingdom of God to people whose faith is dying and how many how many Christians do you think have walked through that U-Haul place and never talked to this guy because he's from Nepal like that so I started talking to him and it was just beautiful and and you know the things I said to him shocked him because of the way I said them but um no that's just stuff you you know we've learned working in, in with Hindu but Um, But it's so exciting, you know, and and now I, you know, I I feel like I just can't wait to get back there tomorrow to drop the U-Haul off. And then I'm thinking, Donna, do we need a U-Haul for anything else? You know, let's just hit every target in all of Virginia because we've done most of them today. Let's just go to all of them. Yeah. Um, So what I wanted to look at here, and I'll tell you how the rest of this day went after that because then I was really charged up. I was really fired up after that. It's like, the Lord's saying, okay, this is going to be a good day. We're going to talk to people today. Um, Acts, in Acts. Um, Acts chapter 1, we know the story. You know, Jesus is risen um, from the dead. He's restored Peter, and everyone's back sort of together, and um, they're waiting. And so they're with Jesus before he ascends. In Acts 1, 3, it says, uh, To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, after his suffering in the garden and on the cross, by a series of many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences, and infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. What Jesus talks about all the time is not how to go to heaven when you die. That's, not, that's part of his message. It's not the main thrust. ...of his message. That's what we've turned it into. Uh, A way to escape hell, basically. Presentation. Which not many people are actually that interested in. Especially when you get outside of the West. Get in the Middle East. Death to them is like... It's an everyday thing. I mean, you know how... Look at what's going on in the Muslim world and in Israel. It's brutal. But Jesus is talking to him about the things of the kingdom of God... And, and so, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God more than a hundred times. When I went through seminary, we never talked about the kingdom of God. Only as a theoretical sort of construct. But this is Jesus' last 40 days on earth, and this is what he's talking about. It must really be important, and he talked about it for 40 days. The kingdom of God. Could you talk about the kingdom of God for 40 days? And so, so we have Mark 1. Now we have Acts 1. Mark 1, it says, this is the gospel of God. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe. That's the beginning message of Jesus in the Gospels. His final words, kingdom of God again. Like that. Why is that so important? That's a fascinating study, I'll tell you, to study. What is Jesus talking about? Because what he's saying to people is the kingdom of God is now here. And you have access to live in it starting now. Our message to a lost world is... basically the kingdom of God is up there and you can start living it as soon as you're dead. It's not that compelling of a message. Where are you going to go when you die? I don't know. I'm not really thinking much about that right now. You could die tonight. I know I could, but I'm still not thinking much about that. But Jesus doesn't talk like that. He's talking about the kingdom. He talks about what the kingdom is, how to get into the kingdom, what life in the kingdom is like, who's the king of the kingdom. This is what he talks about. And people press in to hear this word what's so fascinating about what jesus is saying why do masses of people come around him because he can heal yes maybe but they come to hear his teaching but why is it so fascinating across cultures this teaching is so amazing romans are listening to it greeks are listening to it jews are listening to it secular jews Religious Jews, the whole spectrum of the world is can't wait to hear this. The only people that don't like the message are who? The religious leaders, the experts in religion, don't like it. Because what he's doing is he's basically deconstructing their theology and therefore their authority and power over the people, and they don't like that. Churches have to be careful not to say we are the ones that decide what's right and wrong in the Christian world. You know, get on the Internet, Christians are excellent at naming other Christians who they don't like and bashing them to death on websites, on blogs. Why are we doing this? Why? What's the point of that? So Jesus is talking about the kingdom people want to hear about. And so he's talking to the disciples here about the kingdom. And then he tells them um, what they're going to do. He says, but you, verse 8, but the famous verse, but you'll sh- receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the other utter ends of the earth. And so his, his message to them is, here's what you're going to do and here's how you're going to do it with the Holy Spirit. So that's pretty critical. Now, I don't need the Holy Spirit to trap a guy in a ticket booth And fire a canned presentation at him. I don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Which is exactly why it had no impact on him whatsoever. I do need the Holy Spirit to talk to a person from the depth of my heart to the depth of theirs in five minutes. I do need him for that. Only the Holy Spirit can make a guy from Nepal say to me, my faith is dying. What makes him say that to me? Why does he say that to me? It's called the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So, so it's important that the, that the, uh, that the uh, disciples, the apostles, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, so they're in the room, they're praying together in unity, beautiful unity, men and women together praying, waiting for this Holy Spirit to come. Do they know what the Holy Spirit's going to look like when it comes? Do they? They don't. How come Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit, it's going to look just like this when it happens and explain it to him? Why doesn't he do that to him? Yeah. yeah, Because if if you start to explain the Holy Spirit in terms of "here's what he looks like, here's how he works," it, kind of, it it can reduce him down to less than what he really is. We know he convicts of sin, he's a comforter, he gives wisdom. We know that, but when he comes, what does he look like? So they're in the room, they're praying, and they're waiting for the Spirit to come. And it's interesting because if you if if we ask the disciples. While Before the Holy Spirit actually comes, what are you waiting for? We're waiting for the power from on high to descend upon us. Do you know what that looks like? Not really. Well, then how will you know when it comes? Or how are you going to be sure it's the Holy Spirit and not being faked out by Satan? That's the kind of questions we ask. If we ask them, how do you know it? Will c- it's the Holy Spirit? How do you know it's the Holy Spirit when it comes? What are they going to say? Oh, we'll know. That's their answer. Oh, we'll know. We'll know by the result of what happens. And so they wait, and boom! The Holy Spirit descends upon them. And the first thing they do when the Holy Spirit comes upon them is go out and share their faith. That's the first thing they do. And they do it corporately in front of thousands of people when the Holy Spirit descends on them. So, that's awesome. So now they have the Spirit... They see what the Spirit can do when they speak. The Spirit of God helps people understand what they're hearing. It can can translate into other languages, even across cultures. Boom, it cuts them all like that. And so that's a pretty amazing example. But it's not until chapter 3 that we see the very first one-on-one evangelism post-Jesus ascension, post the advent of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 3, the first time Peter and John go out... To share their faith with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, they've done this before when they were sent out by Jesus. But this is a new day. When Jesus says, when I leave, one that will come is even greater. Even better. The Spirit. So now here they are. Jesus isn't with them telling them what to do. It's them and the Holy Spirit at work in them. That's really fascinating. So if you want to really know like, how to share your faith, Acts chapter 3 is probably the best place to start. Because of what these guys are about to do. So let me just tell you about some, a, a time when a person prayed in front of me, like when they used the Spirit on me. It's interesting when you're on the other end, end of this. Um, I, I, I was working in Reston and um, got sent to this complaint. And I've told these young, younger people this story before. I got sent to a complaint, and the complaint was, um, there's a guy standing in the middle of an apartment complex over off Wheelie Avenue, who thinks he's Superman? There you go. All right. That's good. It's, you know, two o'clock in the morning. Hmm, Superman's out at two. Wow. So I go over there. I'm by myself. I go over there. <laughs> I get out of my car. I walk through this apartment complex into the courtyard. Right. And sure enough, there's a guy there standing like this. And he's going, I am Superman, like that. So I walk, you know, not too close to him. So obviously got some issues going on. And I said, hey, Superman, you got to go inside, man. Don't stand out here yelling that out. And he looks at me, he goes, oh, I'm Superman. Well, when he says that I can smell the ether that he's on his breath, he's smoking PCP. Well, people get, policemen get killed fighting guys on PCP because you can't hurt them. So we have the right to shoot as soon as we know it's PCP. So I drew my gun as soon as I knew that's so what I was dealing with and aimed it at his chest. And I was just like, Lord, I'm going to, you know. Unless you intervene, in this thing is pretty much just gonna have to shoot this guy. Because I know I'm not gonna get near him before he goes off. And so I aim, and I'm aiming it at his chest like that. And this woman comes running out of some ground floor apartment, and she gets in between me and the guy. And she says, "Don't, no, 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 don't shoot him! Don't shoot him! Don't! Please, don't shoot him!" And she gets down on her knees in front of me, and she goes, "God, in the name of Jesus, don't let this policeman shoot!" And I was like, "Gosh, what am I gonna do when you're doing that to me?" And you're, like, bringing down the big guns on me, man. And so, like, I'm like, whoa, stop doing that. I don't know. It made me feel funny. It was like, stop using Jesus on me like that, you know? <laughs> and so I holstered my weapon, and I said, who are you? And she said, that's um, my husband. That's my husband. And I said, can you get him inside? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can. I said, because if you can't, <laughs> you know, I, we have to do something about this." And so, but the Lord's really speaking to me. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Let her, let her take him. Because it's not smart, actually, to do that. So, but anyway, she gets control of him. She gets him in, into some, into an apartment. Sounds quiet. So I leave, and I just said, "Lord, if that guy comes back out, I'm in serious trouble with my job." Okay. Now, what I did, i didn't even know what I was doing in that situation. What I did in that situation, and what she did is I shared my faith with not only her, with him, this Superman guy. And I didn't even realize it, because it was just as I was doing my job, as I was going. But it's the community, the interaction with God in every situation that allows faith sharing to occur all the time. And so I leave and work the shift, go home, nothing happens, I'm happy, I'm glad. Six months later, I don't know anything else about the people, six months later, I get a complaint. Same neighborhood on the other side across the street, another building um, a, a, a mental pa- skate mental patient on the basketball court. Go get him. okay, this is daytime, so get it down there now on this side of the, the the department the apartments are divided by a main street. this side, the community is all Latino and um, Cambodian and Lao. This side is another group, another group, another ethnic group they, this side has their gang, this side has their gang. So they don't rarely come across the street from each other. But this side, on this gang, on this side of the street, I have a lot of trouble with their lead guy. A lot of trouble. Me and him have been in many scrapes against one another. And he would love nothing better than shoot me every time I come down in that neighborhood. So if that's on that side, I'm like, ah, shoot. But at least it's daytime, so you know, it shouldn't be too bad. So I go down there, park my car by myself, walk up onto the basketball court. And sure enough, there's the, the guy we're looking for, the mental patient, on the basketball court. Just standing in the middle quietly staring off into space in the basket fenced in basketball court. So I walk in and I said, Hey, come, you got to come with me. Man. You can't stand out here. Let me take you back to see the doctor. And he goes, no, I'm not going. And he locks his fingers through the chain link fence. And he, I'm not going like that. I'm like, Oh boy. So I grab him by the belt, you know, I'm like pulling on him. But this dude's locked in there. You know, it's like, come on, let go on the fence. Come on like this. And I'm yanking on his belt. <laughs> Feel totally stupid. And, uh, and, uh, and so while I'm doing that, I see I see the gang guys see my car, and they see me up on the, in, I'm fenced in, there's only one way in and out of this basketball court, and I'm like doing this number. And they come up the hill, you know, Like come on, let go of that, and they come in the basketball court, and they get around me in a circle around me, so it's me pulling this guy on the fence, and they're all around me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so I lean into the guy, and I said, you better look. I want to break your arm if you don't look good." And I yanked him as hard as I could, and he just went, okay. And, he led, and I went flying with him. <laughs> and I fell on my back, and he landed right on top of me. And when I hit the ground, my, my holster unsnapped, and my guns went sliding across the asphalt right to the guys. Right to those guys. And so uh, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now I'm, this guy's going nuts on me, so I'm trying to con- hold him. But like I don't have my gun, they pick it up, and I'm like, I can see the scenario in my mind. I know what they're. I know they got me now because they can shoot me here and say this guy did it. It's perfect setup. I mean, they know it, and so they walk. They're walking to they come around me, and the one guy's got my gun, and he's just looking down at me like this, looking in my eyes, and I said, you know, Lord, I said, I'd love to go home at the end of this shift. I really would. I would really not want to die. In this ridiculous position on this basketball court, with my own gun, I got two sons at home. I'd love to see them grow up. I really would appreciate some kind of insight into what to, exactly to do right now, and it's got to be quick. So I'm just looking up at the guy, and he's looking down at me. And these guys are around me, and then he looks. He looks. Uh, this the gang guy looks over to the, at the entrance of the basketball court. He's look. He looks at something like that. He's not even paying attention to me. All of a sudden. And so I lean over and I look, and onto the basketball court comes Superman and his gang from the other side of the street. They saw me on the basketball court, so they come in to the basketball court. Now, these groups hate each other, and, but this Superman's gang is way bigger than this one. And they come onto the basketball court, and they push... The guy's away from me and they get in a circle around me holding the guy on the ground. And now Superman is just staring at me like this. They won't help me per se. They just won't do that. But they will help me. And so he's looking at me and I said, Superman, I don't know what his name is. I was like, Superman, they got my gun. And he goes like this. <laughs> and my gun comes <laughs> sliding back on the, <laughs> on the pavement. And like, I said, I said, here's the thing. I just got to get to my car with this guy. That's all I need to do. You, and we'll all just walk away from this, but I got to get into my car. And so they spread out a little bit. I roll over, the guy, roll the guy over. I get him handcuffed, stand him up. And so now we're in the, bas- in the basketball court, and I'm holding this mental patient, and this guy, Superman, is around me like this with his guys, and outside of them is the other gang. And it's so, everyone's just tense. And so like, okay, I'm going to go. And so I just do this with the guy. Like that with him, and Superman and all these guys take one step with me around me, like a, a circle, and then the other guys around them, and this is how we go down the basketball court like this, <laughs> these really tense circles, and all the way to my down the hill to my car. I open up the car, put the mental patient guy in the back, get in the driver's seat, and Superman standing there at by the by, on the driver's side, and I said, "You saved my life. You saved my life today," and I. I I really appreciate it, and he goes, "I am Superman." <laughs> and what he meant, his name's Hector De Jesus. Uh, what he meant was that night that I didn't shoot him changed his whole life. He came to faith. Um, I used to go over there when I was working and eat dinner with him and his family. Completely changed his life that night that I didn't do that. That's the, that's how God is. In, in, in the major situations, minor situations like that. But you know where I learned that kind of stuff from and what we do in Baghdad and what we've done in Indonesia and Jordan is from Acts chapter 3. So let's look at it. Okay, now, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Three o'clock in the afternoon. So Peter and John are going up to pray. Why are Peter and John going to pray at this time? Why? They're Jews. And Jews pray at this time in the synagogue. So even though they're followers of Jesus, they're still Jewish and they do what Jewish people do. Is the temple a holy, sanctified place? No, it's totally corrupt at the time of Jesus, the synagogue system. Totally corrupt. Totally corrupt. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that Peter and John can't go there anymore because now they're believers. You know, it's, it's interesting. When you walk around, you are the kingdom of God. When you go in a place, you bring the kingdom to that place. Do you understand that? And so there's no place you can go and, well, the kingdom can't come in here. Do you realize? I mean, I, so I have people say to me, um, do you go into a mosque? And I'm like, yeah. You do? Yes. And I know what they think. God's not there, which is funny to me because I used to think that too. But and and I was asked to actually do a series of six sermons in a mosque here in the states, and I was ter- this is a long time ago, and I was terrified to do it. And I went to our pastor and I said, "Hey, do you have a problem with me doing a six week series on Fridays in the mosque down the street?" He goes, "I've never had anyone ask me that question before." He said, "I don't. I don't know. I guess not." And I was driving to do the first one, I was, you know, because you, you say something wrong in a mosque, it's not like a Baptist church, where they just put on a comment card, you're an idiot, signed anonymous, you know, like, that's, how they, that's how we do it in churches, they stand up and threaten to kill your family, that's how they do it in a mosque, so I was nervous about, wow, well, what if I say something that gets them all upset, but I got to stay true to the word, you know, that kind of thing, and so I was really afraid, and I pulled over in my car, and I said, Lord... What am I afraid of exactly? Why am I afraid? I know what I'm talking about. I know Muslims. I've worked with them. Why am I afraid to do this? Again, this is why it's so important to be able to hear from God. Hear on things like this where I can't read the Bible and find out why I'm afraid. I have to know here. And so the Lord says to me, he says, you don't think I can go in a mosque? That's why you're afraid. And I thought, yeah. Actually, I'm thinking like if I step in the mosque, God's gone. I mean, I hear Christians say this all the time. But then, what's interesting about thinking that God can't go in a mosque, isn't he omnipresent? How can you be omnipresent except in mosques, or Hindu temples, or Buddhist shrines? Either you're omnipresent or you're not, right? But that that wasn't what got me when I was praying about that. What got me was the Lord reminded me of what David said when David asked the question, where can I go from your spirit? I can go, hi, yet you are there. And I can go to the depths of Sheol, yet you are there. I think you can go into a mosque. And that really empowered me. So Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. How often do you think they go to the temple and pray? Every day. Probably more than once a day. Every day. So this is what they do normally in the course of a day. Let's go to the temple to pray. Right? So they go to the temple to pray. They're on their way to do that. They're walking up there, Peter and John. When a certain man, verse 2, crippled from his birth was being carried along... Who was laid each day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, so that he might beg for charitable gifts from those who entered the temple? Now, this this cripple man, this lame man, is out in front of the gate that Peter and John are going to go through every day, and he's this man is laying out there. How often? Every day. Hmm. Wow. So, so Peter and John, we don't know. If, I mean, we don't know how many beggars are out there, but. Peter and John are probably passing this guy at some point every day. It's interesting. Hmm. Now, Peter and John, remember when? Remember when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman? Where are Peter and John? Where are they? They've gone off to do what? Find food. <laughs> I'm not talking to that lady. I'm hungry. And so they go off. In fact, in that passage, when, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, Peter and John don't even see that woman. And when they come back, they're like, why is he talking to her? What is this? She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. Good grief. Why is he talking to her? And he, has he got something to eat that we don't know about? Because we're starving. Like that. They don't even see her. Here's one big hindrance, because I want to just hit a couple of the hindrances to sharing our faith, is number one, we don't even see people around us at all. Don't even see them. And I shared this earlier, I'll say it again. There's three kinds of people that we come, that enter our world. One are, we call people people. They're people that we like. They're our family. Or, or maybe they're people that we like that aren't our family because we don't like our family. I don't know. They're people that we like and we want to talk to them and we want to be with them. Those are people people. We don't have them, very many of those in our lives. The other kind of people in our lives are machine people. Machine people are people that just serve us. They're waitresses, they're they're cashiers, they're um, guys that work at the U-Haul place. They're like ATM machines. We just need something, we get it from them, and that's it. We don't really see them as people. They're machines to serve us. If they're slow doing it, we get mad at them. If they don't speak our language, we get mad at them. We're not very, they're not important to us, really. Those are, those are machine people. And then there's scenery people, which are people that are just out here that we don't even, you know. Oh, Japan had a tsunami. Ooh. <laughs> you know? Ooh. or dry, It's just like driving down the road and the trees are going by way up on that hill. And it's like, mm. you know, they're there, yeah. Middle East is blowing up. Palestinians and Israelis are killing each other. Oh, well. You know, it works out. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. But they're not people, people to us. Now, not everyone can be. But to Jesus, everyone is people, people to him. And he sees everyone. He sees them. He looks at them. And so, one of the, I'll say it again, one of the big reasons we don't talk to people is because we never even see them. So when, one time I'm, when I was a cop again, I was called to the same apartment complex where Superman was, and in the middle of the night, and it was a stabbing. I drive into the parking lot. There's a lot of Asian people outside, upset. I'm asking, like, what happened? What happened? Nobody speaks English. I push through the crowd. There's a lady laying in this parking lot with a puncture wound in her stomach that is obviously she's probably going to bleed to death from. And so I kneel down next to her, and I just put my hands over like over the wound in her stomach, holding it down, calling the rescue squad. And I'm saying, what, who did, what happened here? Nobody, nobody can explain this woman. So I'm holding her, just trying to keep the blood inside of her body with my hands. And and so it's all over me. And the ambulance comes and they, they come, okay, we're here, move over, get out of the way. So they said, hold our flashlight up so we can, you know, work. And so I got back around by her head and I held the flashlight up. And when I looked at her face, I knew who she was. She was the 7 Eleven clerk um, at the 7 Eleven where I went every shift to buy coffee, every day, every night. And she was the cashier. Guess how many times I talked to her? None. You know why? Because she was Vietnamese and her English wasn't very good and it was just too much trouble. And I didn't know, back then, I, was in, I, don't, I don't know what Buddhists believe. I go find someone that speaks English. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, Gosh, every day I've walked past this girl and here she is bleeding to death in this parking lot and I've never even said one word to her. And and so they, they you know, they worked on her and they got her up and they put her in the ambulance and they were closed the doors and the tech, the EMT guy looks at me and he goes, He says, Hey, be careful because her blood's all over your hands. I was like, I know. Way more than yeah. I know. It's exactly what God was saying to me, too. Her blood's on your hands. Every day. I put her right there. Every day. She's just a machine to you. Like that. So the first thing is to see. Look at watch what Peter and John do here. So you got Peter and John passing this guy. Just think about people you pass every day. I mean, you know that if you go to a local store or whatever, I don't know. Verse three, so when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, He asked them to give him a gift. Who's calling out to who here? Is the believer calling out to the lost or is the lost calling out to the believer? Who's initiating this contact? The lost person. Wow. You know, the lost world cries out to us all the time. All the time. And what do we do about it? You know, because we work so much in the Muslim world and in the Muslim community, which we've been doing here all of this month. But, in the, I mean, the Muslim world's in pretty serious trouble right now, isn't it? It's falling apart everywhere. And they need some serious help. I'm not talking about military and all that stuff. I'm talking about they need some serious direction by people who know how to live in the kingdom of God and how to get in it. Because that's the only thing that's going to help them. Not new leadership in their countries. That's not going to help them. They need to know the king of kings. We're the only ones that can tell them how to do it. And you know what? People, I'm listening to Christian radio every day while I'm here. Because Atlanta, <laughs> they don't have the same t- type of Christian radio we have up here. It's a lot, it's a lot of country music down there. But up here, and, and, so they're, and, they're, and you know how many people on that radio are bad-mouthing the Muslim world? Saying what's wrong with it, why? They're the antichrist. Get ready. They're coming to get us. The world's ending. It's like, really? Why aren't we saying we need 5,000 believers that know how to talk to Muslims to move to Tunisia right now? Because now is the time to be there with them because they're looking for a leader. And we know the best leader they could ever find. We know it. In fact, there's one older couple at at a church in Phoenix where um, we do a lot of training. And last year we were with them. Don and I were with this couple and he was retiring and he said, you know, we're going to move. We're going to move to North Africa and just see what the Lord will do with us, you know, rather than stay in Phoenix. And, uh, and so I was like, that's awesome. So we helped train them and hooked them up with the right people. And we came back this year to see them because they had a, about six more months before they leave. And I was talking to the guy and he's like, he's like, we're leaving. We're leaving next week. Really? Why? Did you, he said, do you see what's happening in Tunisia? I said, yeah, there's riots in the street. He goes, it's time to go now. And they left. They're exactly right. Is that, is that the kind of, Or are those just scenery people over there, you know, in Egypt, in, in Syria, where they've never had anyone rise up against the strong man, but now they're rising up. We know how to bind the strong man. But we're afraid of the strong man, unfortunately. And we just don't see the people for what they are. So the lost world cries out to us all the time. What do we say to the lost world? Well, it's tough. You're, you did it to yourself. You, you you hurt our people. We're not going to help you. You, you. you killed us. We're not going to kill. We're not coming over there. You won't let us build a church in your country. That's how we respond to them. <laughs> and Satan's going, ha, 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 good. The people that know the way, that know how to share their faith won't do it. Good. In fact, they're mad at them. Like that. So the lost calls out. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to give him money. Now here's the key. Watch verse 4. And Peter, this is here's Peter's evangelism style. I want you to see it. Here's his one-on-one style. And Peter directed his gaze intently at him, and so did John. And here's his opening line of evangelism, and said, "Look at us." There it is. Isn't that awesome? You ever hear evangelism presentations start with "Look at us"? This is how the Bible says to start it. What? Why? Why is he saying that? It's interesting. Peter directed his gaze intently at him. That word means to look at somebody. But it means to look. It's used all through Acts, this term. It's actually used in the Gospels about Jesus. But it means to look at a person with every part of your being. Do you ever look at people like that? Every part of your spirit. It actually means to look at people through the Holy Spirit. Because when you look at a person through the spirit of God, what do you see? People, people, lost people. You really see them. And when you really see them, I'm telling you, God will give you the chance to share with them. So it, so that's what Peter and John have learned to do with, with the advent of the spirit. They've watched Jesus do it. Jesus looks at people. He looks at them like this. Is that how you go through the day? Have you ever sat at a traffic light? You know, out on Route 7 or wherever, and it's red, and just look at the next car, just like this. And the other person kind of sees you doing it, and this is what they do. Because we don't look at people at intersections. You know that, right? That's a law. You do not look at other people at an intersection. And it's funny. We, we avoid looking at people. We, we avoid. Don't stare. That's rude. Jesus stared at everybody. And 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 the other thing that's happened very cleverly on the part of Satan is when we use the word stranger, is that a good word or a bad word? When we say that's a stranger. It's bad. Stranger means danger. Stranger, danger. Run from the stranger. Really? Isn't that interesting? Did Jesus say that? When you, hey, you guys go out and you know, we want to send you out into the world, but <clears throat> Only share with people that you know. If it's a stranger, danger. <laughs> Run. Really? I mean, you got to be cautious and smart and prudent and all that stuff. But we've taught an entire generation that strangers are dangerous to us. That they're predators. That the predators are everywhere. Are there predators out there? I- I've arrested a bunch of them, yes. <laughs> are they everywhere? No. They're not. You know... You know, Satan loves us to think that the the enemy is way bigger than he is. We're terrified of predators everywhere. And so our our strategy, again, is to keep withdrawing and grouping up where we know everybody. And they're safe. And I'm pretty sure they're not homosexual. And and so I think it's safe here for our kids to grow up. Really? That's why we don't know how to share our faith with people. That's why, because that's how we live. You know, we live by not looking at people we don't want to see. them. So to look at people through your spirit, through the depths of your spirit. So and, and, and how does that work? Well, and here's what it does. Look what it does. Peter directed his gaze intently at him. And so did John and said, look at us. Look at us. Look at us. Why is he saying that to that guy? The guy's already looking at him. He's the one that called out to him. Why? Peter's looking at him. He says, now look at me. Look, look at me. Why is he doing that? What, what, what's he saying to the man? He's saying, I want you to look at me closely because what I'm about to say means a lot to me and a lot to you. Look at me. Watch. Look in my eyes. You know, if you, if I say to my sons who are, you know, older, if I say, hey, I want you to look in my eyes when I say this. What does that mean? It means that what I'm going to say, I want them to know. Right? So that's what the, So Peter says, he's looking at the guy and he's looking through his spirit. He's like, wow, you know what? I think God's going to do something. John, look, look. I, do you see what I see? I think God's going to do something really incredible in this guy's life. I can see it. It says, Paul looked at the man and saw that he had the faith to be healed. He saw that he had the faith to be healed. Can you see that? Oh, yes, you can. Can you see the kingdom in the eyes of a person who's really seeking God in some way? Yes. Because they're people of peace. That's what Jesus said. Go out and look for these kinds of people. And when you find them, stay with them. If you find people that aren't that, move on. It's not that hard. And so if if I go through the day and here's my goal. Lord, I'd love to share my faith with with someone today. And so because of that, I'm going to look at every single person that I deal with today. I'm going to look right in their eye. And I'm going to say to them, look at me. There's lots of different ways to do that. So when I was looking at the guy from Nepal, I I was like, where are you from? Nepal? Nepal. Do you know Nepal? Yes. My faith is dying. Why? Because I looked at him. And I made him look back at me. And the spirit starts to go, cross between us. Like that. It's very easy. So, They look at this guy and they say, look at us. And the man paid attention to them. Expecting that he was going to get something from them. Right on. Yep. It's not what he thinks. But he's expecting it. Why? Because they said, look at us. They're like, you look with expectation at people. Hey, look at me. Uh Uh-oh. What? You know, we did this on the metro. Long time ago when we lived up here. Took guys on the metro. We were teaching evangelism, and um, you know, when it got on the orange line, and we put, put guys in each of the cars on the metro with a little notebook and a pen. And our goal, we said, here's the deal: when you're when we're, we're going to ride the metro back and forth from downtown to Vienna and back. When you're in your car, your goal is to look every single person in that car in the eye and write down everything you can learn about them without saying one word. Just look at them. Is he depressed? Is he? Happy, you know, like that. That's all you do. So the metro starts. Our guys stand up and they're walking down. Now, what do you think people did besides call metro transit police? Besides that, which they did do. How do you think that made people feel? Really uncomfortable. Why? Because you're looking at me. Why are you looking at me? Well, that's what these do that's kind of what they're for. I can't live my life like this. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. We do every day like this. And it was so funny because then the people, we told our guys, don't say anything, just do that. But they couldn't help it because the people would say, what are you doing? Uh, Well, it's just an assignment, you know, for our class. We're trying to learn how to talk to people and Our church is trying to make us to focus on people and their needs, and so I was just writing down about you that you just look kind of sad. These are the stories they told, and and uh, I don't know, are you okay? Bingo, there you go. Off we go. No, I'm not okay. All right, so we go. So we get the (laughs) U-Haul. We go to Target. We go to the Target um, by. What's that? Wegmans. Right. We're in that Target. Purgatoryish kind of place. And we're wandering around with. We have more than one cart because we're buying furniture. So we have this little caravan of carts going through, and and we get up to the cashier. Okay, so now the cashier. Um, her name was Manny. Uh, so she, Donna's ahead of me <laughs> in the caravan, and so Donna sit looks at her, and says, "How are you? Are you? How are you? Like this, not like." How are you? How are you doing today? My life is awful. Ah, good, thank you. You know, not like that. <laughs> not like that. That's not. That's not looking. At, look in their eyes. Donna looks right in her eyes and says, "How are you?" Before she slides anything across the counter, "How are you?" And the girl goes, "I don't feel well." Donna says, "Are you sick?" And she goes, "Yeah, I'm kind of. I just feel kind of sick." And then Donna, then the girl's trying to starts to ring up something. Doesn't have the price tag on it. She's like, oh, wait, I got to get the price. And Donna said, let me just go get it. You don't feel good. I'll go get it. So Donna leaves, and she goes way back into the bowels of Target. And, um, and so I said to her, what do you got, like the flu or something? She goes, no, not really that. This, this is what she says. I'm just sad. <laughs> She's probably, I don't know, 25, something like that, 25 years old. She said, I'm just sad. And I said, why? What are you sad about? She said, I'm sad about God. I'm telling you, these people are all over this place. Don't, t- don't tell me they're hard to talk to. They're not. They're dying to talk to someone. They're dying, period. She said, I'm sad about God. And I said, why? What, what makes you sad about God? And she says, I just, I just think I, have to, I need to do more for him. Now, that's not a healthy thing, do more for him. What she means is she's not good enough. And she doesn't know how to be good enough. That's what she's saying. Pay attention to what she's saying. And she said, I just feel like I'm not doing enough for God. And I said, do you think God really needs you to do anything for him? I mean, he could pretty much do anything. What, what could you do for him that he needs? And she goes, well, I guess you're right. I said, yeah, sometimes we think that we have to work our way to God or he doesn't like us. I said, actually, that's not true. What's true is, he wants to do things for you. I said, I think that's where you're confused. You got it going the wrong way. And she goes, really? I said, that's what the Bible says. But I said, there is something you can do for him that he really likes. I told her, I said, I'm an expert in this stuff. And she goes, I can tell. Now, what have I said? You know, what have I said? I'm just speaking to her heart. It's like this fast. Boom! There it is. We're down in the heart. And, and I'm looking at her, and I can see she is, uh, obviously, she is standing right at the edge of the kingdom. All she needs is someone to walk her and that's all right there at Target every day. How many Christians do you think have gone through her register since she's been working there? And so I said, Here, I, I, I know something he really likes. You want to know what that is? He'll love it if you do this for her. She said, okay, what? I said, abide with him. She said, what does that mean? I said, live as close to him as you can. It's like, I said, you see, that's my wife. You know, I said, "Donald's walking back. I said, see her, what she wants is me to live with her. She doesn't want me to do things for her necessarily. And to make her love me, that would drive her crazy. All she wants is me to live with her in peace and love and harmony like that. That's what God wants from you. Can you do that? She goes, yes. And I said, now there's a, I said, do you go to church? And she said, yeah. And she tells me the name of the church. So I'm like, oh, my god! No wonder you're sad. <laughs> but I didn't say that. But I was like, oh, my goodness. And I said, let me, here, listen. I said, you know what? I'm speaking this weekend at Reston Bible Church. It's right over there. Donna wrote down the information for her. Um, and Donna gave her her email and so, I said, you, you, you email us anytime you, you need help. If, if we can help you. But I said, This church over here, Rest in Bible, is where you want to be. They will teach you how to abide with Christ. You'll be, I, I said, oh, You'll love it. And so, packing up the stuff, and she says, She goes, You know, I feel like God sent you in here today to meet me. And I said, absolutely. I said, "He's he's trying to show you that you don't need to do anything for him. He sent us here for you. He did it for you. Do you get that? And so we were walking away. And I was thinking, how hard was that? How difficult was that to do? Just look in their eyes. How are you? Are you okay? Like that. So. And the man paid attention to them, expecting that he was going to get something from them. But Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Then he took hold of the man's right hand with a firm grip, raised him up, and at once his feet and ankle bones became strong and steady. And leaping forth, he stood and began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Here's what they did. Here's what, if you just want to remember it this way. You want to share your faith pretty much every day. Here's, what, here's the f- four things, five things whatever, that you have to do. Number one, you have to look. Just look. Just look around. Who's, who am I standing near? Who am I talking to? Look. But don't just look. Look through the Spirit of God in your life. Look. Put your intentionally gaze at them. Look at them. So look, number one. Number two, listen to what they say. When you ask them a question, listen to what they say. The other night we were in, I, I forget what, st- we were in Giant or somewhere, and the cashier, I said to her, it was Jacob, or was with me, and I said, how are you? It, it was, it, and she said, uh, uh, she said, I'm really tired. I'm just so tired. And I said, what makes you tired? Tell me what makes you tired. Is it just standing here? And she said, kind of. I said, when you go home, are, are you able to rest at home? And she said, no, actually, what's going on at home makes me more tired. See, when a person says they're tired, why are they? Th- ask them. Why? We, we, you know, do you need to sit down or something? Do you want me to come back there and I'll run the register for a little while? You sit right there. I do say stuff to people like that. They never let me do it. But. So look, listen, learn. From what they say to you. Learn about them. You can learn so much about a person. In 15 minutes talking to them. So deep. It depends how fast you'll go down to reach their heart. To speak to their heart. With your heart. Look. Listen. Learn. Then. Then. Lead. Leading is the very last thing. Not the first thing. Oh, I'm here to witness to. Good. Get out of my face. I hate people like you. Okay. We're done. Thank you very much. That's <laughs> When do, when do Peter and John lead this man into the temple? After they've looked at him. After they've listened to him. After they've learned everything they can about him. Then they lead him. Yeah, do that first. They'll listen. What you say to a person becomes more valuable to them the more they realize how much you care about them. It becomes immense, immensely valuable to them. Now, I know that girl's going to be here Sunday. I know she will. Because I didn't invite her to church when she said, I'm having a problem. I invited her to church after we had the discussion. Do you see? It's not like, hey, I go to this good church, come with me like that. But after I've interacted with her, after I've looked into her life, she's looked in my eyes and Donna's life, and after we've shared our heart with her and her with us, now you're ready to say, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you come to this church? And then jumping and leaping and praising God, he led him into the temple. So when you go out tomorrow, very simple. Lord, I would love to share my faith with someone. I mean, that conversation with that girl wasn't super spiritual, biblical. It was just right. It was just truth. So, Lord, help me to share my faith with someone. Here's the places I've got to be tomorrow. Anywhere in that, Lord, any person, I'm just going to look as hard as I can for the one that you want. Let me see that person that you want me to speak to. Look. Listen. Listen learn, and then lead them. They'll follow you. They'll definitely follow you. Thank you. <clears throat>
0: uh, Jamie and Donna are teaching their Jesus in the Quran seminar along with some of their friends from Atlanta over at Christian Fellowship Church this coming uh, Friday night and most of the day on Saturday. You can find information about it on the Reston Bible website. There's a link. You can register. Uh, if you're interested in reaching your Muslim friends for Christ, it's a wonderful way to spend uh, several hours with Jamie and Donna and, and the team that teach that work. Let's have a word of prayer together, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, for uh, Jamie's exhortation uh, and example to us of how to look and listen and learn and lead. We pray that you would help all of us to uh, think about that even tomorrow as we wake up. Who would you have us interact with? There are people all around us, Lord. Help us uh, not to view them as machinery or just scenery, uh, but to look at them. Lord, we thank you for all the people that have come out tonight. I pray that you would work in all of our hearts uh, to make us uh, great uh, ambassadors for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can hang around for a while and talk with each other. And uh, thank you for coming.